Well, it's Thursday, and you are listening to the only podcast that sanctions the execution of woodpeckers, Days of the New. Nick, how the hell are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Today is my first day off in like 17 days, so it's super cool that I get to spend it with you talking about this. Yeah, capitalism's rad. Yeah, it's 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 great. You know, but you know, if I want to pay for uh, you know, I have healthcare and and those kind of things. You know, I have to uh, I have to work a lot. So it is what it is. Oh, uh, I did. Uh, I did see Incubus in le- in real life this week. How was it? Has Has Brendan? He was good. Uh, he was a little, you know, pitchy, but uh, you know, they were kind of old school. Lots of on stage monitors, and you know, like the in ear stuff. Their crowd is wild, man. Like people that really like Incubus in the year 2022 really still like Incubus. <laughs> like there were people like taking their shirts off and screaming and like. It was it was insane, and I was in like the seated section, and people were going, nuts. "Dude!" So it was like he's bringing out the rain sticks. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, he did. He didn't have them. Um, there were uh, a lot of extra percussion on the stage that I didn't see anybody use, but I I do I usually do the sneak out at uh before the uh you know the encore thing. Ah, well, there's always next time. As always, I love the banter because it keeps me from the subject at hand, but we gotta do it. So. Before we get started, I am happy to welcome to the show Malincren, the brains behind Hardcore Hotline. Madeline, welcome. For sure. For sure. I, I don't know if I'm happy to be here, but I am here. Um, and that's what counts. Yeah, no, you you definitely get the participation trophy. <laughs> Madeline, behind you is a gigantic feline. <laughs> Tell us about this giant beast. Yeah, he's um he's he is 18 pounds of feline um Holy shit. Yeah, he is large and he um he really enjoys being around me. He's he's a big cuddle bug, but yeah, he's about the size of like an animal you may see at a zoo. I forget he's there, but then other people see him and they're like Holy shit, what is happening? So when you liberated him from Joe Exotic Zoo, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, was there was there any sort of uh, separation anxiety between him and Joe? You know, it was really hard. Um, he kept looking for uh, fish oil. <laughs> His meows, you know, cats can't speak English, but I, I, I swear to God, he was he was calling someone that bitch. <laughs> I wasn't, I couldn't catch who it was. He was like a, a small parrot. No, actually, he was like a large, he's not a parrot at all. I don't know why I said that, but I'm just going to continue talking. That's a hell of a segue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> welcome. You're welcome. Speaking of, speaking of squawking bird-like mm-hmm. creatures, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's talk about the album at hand. Yeah. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the sophomore effort from Corn. Life is Peachy. This album holds a special place in my heart. Uh, it was the first Corn album I really spent a lot of time with, and it was the first one that I got to experience live. For that, I may be looking at this album through rose-colored glasses. Yeah, yeah, Life is Peachy, for me, is tough. So um, I loved the first Corn record. Um, I played the hell out of it. And then I heard Life is Peachy, and I wasn't ready for the darkness. Like, there's some darkness on the first Corn record, but, like, this one is, like thrown together in a hurry it's a sophomore mm-hmm. album right so sophomore albums always like oh i've had seven years to write our debut album then we got signed and thrown on tour and now they want us to make another album to make a bunch of money and get right back on tour so like there's there's i mean spoiler there's still on a lot of drugs oh i'll get to that don't worry i will get to the drugs so madeline what was your experience uh number one with new metal and number two with this album oh god uh so when i was around 13 or 14. I, I lived in Miami, so we loved new metal down there. Really? Yeah. I, I'm not sure how it had such a hold on these South Floridians, but I mean, again, we we were Floridians, so it's not that hard to imagine. But I remember hearing Limp Biscuit and um, Nonpoint was a big one. I skipped school one time to go be in their music video. It's the worst experience ever. Don't like what? it was awful. I remember Corn was my favorite band out of all of them. 
And of course, when you live in Miami, it was a major city. So all the bands would tour there. So I saw them a couple of times. I, as much as I loved Corn, I actually didn't pay much attention to the lyrics. I just knew that they were very angry. Um, and as a teenager, I was very angry as well. I can't remember why, but I'm sure I had reasons. <laughs> I'm sure they were great. You know, we had OzFest come through. We had ZetaFest. We had, you know, everyone. Um, I think I actually saw Incubus at OzFest or was it ZetaFest? I can't really remember. It was, we were, we were big on new metal. And then all of a sudden we discovered Poison the Well. <laughs> it was over. <laughs> it was it was done. That's that's how it was for me too. Um, there was new metal, and then I heard One Arm Scissor by At the Drive In on the radio, and I was like, "This is different." And then I was kind of talking to like a guy that I knew in a different band, and he gave me a Poison the Well record, a Small Brown Bike record, and a Cave In record. And then I was like, "Why am I listening to yeah. this garbage?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> S- same thing here. I was way into all that shit, and. Uh, you know, there was a pretty good local music scene in Winston-Salem. Uh, Code 7 hails from here. And Code 7 was a rap rock band. As much as they try to bury it, uh, Paper or Plastic was a Deftones adrenaline ripoff. And I loved it. And then one day, I think it was Poison the Well came through. And I showed up in my Jinkos with my Life is Peachy shirt. And I looked around and I said, I can't ever listen to this again in public. So I hit it and I tried to uh, change as much as I could, which is uh, the the whole cornerstone of hardcore. Be yourself. It is a cornerstone of the hardcore community. As Hardcore Hotline often says, many corners. So many people that I talk to, they're like, yeah, you know, I listened to what was available to them. And what was available mm-hmm. was on MTV. And it was corn and it was Limp Biscuit, And, you know, and the OzFest would come through, ZetaFest would come through. You'd go, you'd see these bands and you're like, these are the bands I should listen to. So I'm interested to get your thoughts before we get into this album. Recently, and I am old and out of touch, admittedly, but nu metal is now an accepted and kind of cool thing within hardcore music. And I started to think about like, okay, hardcore is pretty cyclical. You go from like, tough guy, everybody's got to be in a crew to fashion core. And then somewhere in between, you get like a weird youth crew thing where everybody has to wear calf high socks and never grow up. That transitions into easy core. And then you repeat the cycle. It's the great circle of life. And I've seen all of those phases come and go in one way or another. The first deviation from that path was when grunge started to work its way back in with bands like Daylight, or I guess they're called uh, Super Heaven, and Citizen and Basement, like where that grunge element started to come into hardcore and now new metal. And I'm interested to get your thoughts about why that is when new metal was so derided within hardcore for so long. Uh, my, I will jump in with my two points. It's because it's easy to play. <laughs> you don't have to be good at the guitar or the bass to play new metal. You need to have one finger and a sense of rhythm. Yeah, I think it's because as the hardcore community gets old and faces their mortality, they <laughs> think back at a time when they were young and they were cool and they weren't at Costco on a Saturday with their three kids (laughs) waiting in line for a sample and wondering if those sweatpants are as cozy as they look. (laughs) And I think it takes them back. I think that nostalgia is a huge factor in why all these things come back. I mean, Avril Lavigne is on tour. There's literally a festival called When We Were Young Fest. The idea that people are getting old and realizing that they will die um, is starting to catch up to them. It doesn't catch up to me because unfortunately I will never age. So what this reminds me of is like people that are like super into like still bands like Corn and Limp Bizkit today on a non-ironic level are like those dudes that like still really fucking love <laughs> Van Halen when mm-hmm, we were kids. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. I'm kind of a little bummed that no new metal adjacent bands made it onto Furnace Fest. 
No hyperbole here. I think if Limp Biscuit were on Furnace Fest, they would do fucking gangbusters. They I, would, but the price of tickets would go up a hundred bucks for everybody. <laughs> well, but if they did, Hardcore Hotline would have another video to make. Yeah. So, I mean, that's showbiz, baby. But there is still the question mark headliner that everyone thinks is, uh, everyone has many opinions on, all of them incorrect, but it's fine. I am going to tell you right now, it is Boys Night Out. It is Boys Night Out because it has to be Boys Night Out because I need it to be Boys Night Out. I either think it's Boys Night Out yeah. or Sunny Day Real Estate. It'd be, I'd be mm, yeah, yeah, else, for sure. For Jesus sure. Christ. Definitely. Definitely. Oh. We will definitely take that into consideration. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know how you do it, Madeline. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's difficult. All right. Well, <laughs> let's get into Life is Peachy. So way back in season one, Nick talked us through their breakthrough 1994 self-titled debut. We met the crew, discussed their history, and learned a little bit about what makes them tick meth but just not meth there's a lot of talent here or else we wouldn't be talking about them almost 30 years later so to get you caught up after the release of their self-titled corn spent all of their time on the road concertarchives.org reports that there were 169 live shows in 1995 alone in the beginning of that year they'd tour with hardcore luminaries including strife orange nine millimeter and sick of it all before being tapped to open for acts like Danzig, Marilyn Manson, Megadeth, and Fear Factory. Can you imagine how fucking awesome Sick of It All and Korn would be on the same bill? And they also, in June of 95, they played a one-off show with Sugar Ray, which must have been amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was when Sugar Ray was still new metal. Yeah, Mean Machine, baby. Anyway, the big takeaway that I really want to impress upon our audience from this episode is that being a touring musician is incredibly healthy, both physically and mentally. <laughs> <laughs> My doctor often asks me, he goes like, were you a guitar tech for Spineshank? And when I tell him no, he's just amazed. <laughs> being on the road uh, and cultivating this spiritual and physical well-being, it's also important to secure a sense of financial well-being. Luckily for Korn, their first album was blowing up, and so was their fan base. So at the gentle urging of their record label, it was suggested that they may want to take some time in the studio to record a follow-up. Of course, once they thoughtfully assembled a collection of songs that really spoke to where the band was at in their lives. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. All kidding aside, these fucking meth heads got yoinked off the road and thrown back into Indigo Ranch to put that new metal lightning back in the crushed coarse can fashioned to smoke garbage <laughs> weed out of. <laughs> like last time, Korn were once again joined by the Joe Jackson of new metal, producer Ross Robinson. And this time around, Robinson was more than just a producer. And by his own admission, he would help guide them in the songwriting process. In a piece by Loudwire, Robinson says, I worked with each person in the band to make sure they understood why they were doing what they were doing. My inquiry was very deep, and we discovered a lot of unhealed wounds. I'm not, I'm not afraid to go there, and I craved it. But everything was based on a foundation of love and support. Yeah, I mean, in, in 1997, you uh, or 96, you, you didn't need a therapist. We didn't talk about therapy then. Therapy was taboo. You just uh, hired Ross Robinson to like slap you in the face and scream <laughs> at you while you're recording music. Then everything's fine after. I love that that was, I mean, even that quote is so quintessentially new metal in that we were uncovering unhealed wounds. And it was hard, but I craved it. It's like, okay, calm down. It's all right. Yeah, come on. Come Ross. on. You're just you're just making sure that they finish the album, sir. It's it's fine. Oh, yeah. And about that, I cannot emphasize just how toxic an environment this must have been. So, like, you have a bunch of dudes who've spent the past year doing nothing but getting absolutely wrecked on tour. You tear them out of that environment. You put them in a studio with a guy who's a notorious perfectionist and has a track record of emotionally torturing musicians, and you tell them, make a hit record because your entire career depends on it. The 90s were a time, weren't they? Nowadays, hardcore bands will be like, 
yeah, uh, I had to use some PTO and leave the kids with the sitter. And we finally got all the guys together for a weekend. And here's our new album. Yeah. Back then, they'd be like, here's three months. We are going to pay for everything. Make an album. Like, what an insane concept now. Yeah. Well, and also while being like drugs, you need them, yeah. you get them. No problem. Whatever you need. Yeah. No, no, unlimited, you I'm limited beer and drugs and pizza. Now, like, go look at the writers of bands that are like successful and on tour now. They're asked for like fucking greens and like yerba mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what that is. The first time when I was running the venue, the first time I saw a band ask for yerba mate, I was like, what is yerba mate? <laughs> like, I had no idea. No, no, really. What, what is yerba mate? It is an energy drink um, that the youths drink. Uh, it's supposed to be good for you because I believe it's natural caffeine. I, I'm not 100% certain w- what that is. It's like hippie Red Bull. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's perfect. It is hippie Red Bull. <laughs> For a new generation. Jesus Christ. Whatever happened to a Baja Blast and Mini Thins? Okay, calm down, <laughs> Grandpa. Jeez. <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> um, so the band admittedly uh, says they had no material and no idea what to write about. And they spent the entire time knee-walking drunk. Robinson begged them to stay sober long enough to finish what they were working on. Jonathan Davis was quoted saying, we were drinking mass quantities of everything and we were really fucked up and you didn't want to be around us. I'd bite people when I was drunk. (laughs) I bit everyone in the band hard. I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't care. They actually documented all of this. There was a VHS that I owned called Corn. Who then now? It was just all VHS uh, from behind the scenes that they captured. And uh, this is a whole section about how fucking drunk they got. Anybody that drinks a lot of beer in their band, we're fucking tight friends. Ah, monkey. <laughs> monkey, I don't, I don't want to party with you unless you're partying. Okay. Come on. This. There you go. <laughs> go! Yeah. We got Brian in the band. He just hung out and drank our beer. Oh my God. But like, my friend. <laughs> Who's gonna drink? Hey, cheese. I'm drunk. Can you looking at a drunk? Oh, you knocked over my beer. Yes, yes, yes. Imagine you are a young woman, a young girl. Yeah. And this is what you think you have to look forward to <laughs> in terms of men. You know, we had we had um, we had Tiger Beat. And but, you know, if you were an alternative girl, you didn't have that. What you had was album covers of corn. And then you'd watch that and you were like, oh, cool. OK, that's this is going to be such a whirlwind romance. <laughs> These look like guys that would treat me real good. Yes, these look like men who will fulfill my emotional, mental needs. Is your emotional need a suitcase, of course? Because if it is, you're in luck. Can you imagine, like, how much footage ended up on the cutting room floor? Because it's like, oh, they're just fun guys that like to party and, and do Bud Lights versus, like, smoking crystal meth out of a fucking broken light bulb. <laughs> Like, as a person who enjoys a good tipple, this makes me never want to drink again. Like, this is the most disgusting. These are the grossest people in the world. Yeah, I think this, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm going back in time to watching this with my friends and kind of looking around. I think actually that was the moment, I think that was a catalyst for being like, you know what, I think I'm going to be straight edge in the future. I don't know what that means (laughs) right now. But something inside of me is saying, like, this looks awful. Let's yeah. not do that. <laughs> yeah, it's real bad. That is the inspiration behind this album is just getting wet brain drunk. And the title is a play on the humor that you would expect from this brain trust. 
The title is a play on words from Fieldy's Peachy Folder, and I never heard of a Peachy Folder. Had you guys? Yeah, it's like a brand that make notebooks, right? Yeah, it's a uh, classic illustrations of like uh, fun, wholesome activities like tennis, tackle football, and track. Apparently, this style of artwork was supposed to be the interior of the album. Uh, Jonathan Davis gave a quote, uh, lending some insight to the creative process here. Initially, the record's packaging was a big peachy folder. We'd put, life is peachy, but sex is an all-season sport because it says all-season portfolio. We'd crush it out and draw the football players with battle axes fucking each other up. We had this badass package going on. When you opened the booklet, there were sleeves and the actual binder paper came out and it was all the liner notes. It was the dopest and sickest artwork for the time. Korn actually offered parent company Mead a princely $20,000 to use the artwork, which they declined for some reason. It's a mystery. We will never know. Hey, uh, hey, boss, we got a proposal uh, that that uh, you can suck my dick, man. They want to use our art. <laughs> um, the actual cover art depicts a little boy looking in the mirror, throwing up the Wakanda Forever sign, while a sinister-looking figure looms over him. And again, this was not the original plan. According to Davis, the cover we wanted was a picture of this nude girl, and her back was bruised all the fuck up like she just got beat. It was really creepy and dark. It had a deep blue backdrop. We had to go with the other cover. Again, I wonder. I just wonder why we may Gosh, never know. I why wouldn't they choose a violent image of a woman being? I just it's so on brand. I I, I don't understand why they wouldn't use yeah. that one. I, I'm at a loss, but completely. Life is Peachy was released October fifteenth, nineteen ninety six, entering the Billboard album chart at number three, going gold in three months and reaching platinum the same year. To date, it has gone double platinum, clocking in at 48 minutes, 14 seconds. Life is Peachy is 14 tracks, starting with Twist. I remember in high school, we had to read Beowulf in like AP English class. And then we had to like make movies, like making modern versions of Beowulf. And when like Grendel appeared in our video, that's what we had playing in the background. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> and, and, and by like Catholic high school where everybody listened to the Dave Matthews band. And here's me like, here's my video. Oh, God, oh my God. Such an edgelord. <laughs> <laughs> this is an iconic album op opener it's just 49 seconds of davis scatting while corn do what they do musically for my money it is one of the most like arresting like okay all right i'm listening to this album yeah i mean it definitely uh it jumps right out like it's it's weird and it's still heavy and uh it sounds like corn so yeah it's a nice introduction yeah to, to an album that isn't always heavy and doesn't always sound like corn yeah it was the perfect song for making sure that the sound was all the way up on your disc man <laughs> and playing it around the preppy kids and be like, yeah, guess what I'm listening to? Something you would never. Yep, um, yep. It was it was so that you could assert yourself as a different kid. Mm -hmm. You just live a different reality. I was I was still kind of a quiet kid, which is bizarre to be now because I can't shut the fuck up. Um, but <laughs> but I was, you know, I was an awkward, quiet kid. But I, I wanted people to know that there was there was more to me mm, than layers. just that. Um, there wasn't uh, actually, but I wanted I, I wanted yeah. to to assert that around this time, uh, I was in like a high level art class, oh, and uh, we had to do calligraphy paired with an illustration, and we were encouraged to use a song lyric. And I knew that the artwork would get displayed in the hallway <sighs> if I did it good enough. So mine was just a drawing of Billy Corgan and a quote that just said, I fear that I am ordinary just like everyone. And it got displayed in the hallway with my name on it. 
back to Twist, Fieldy attributes it to Jonathan's diverse background, saying he was a DJ, then a drummer, then a singer. That's how he has this rhythmic vocal going on. And then Fieldy out of nowhere remarks, I couldn't even karaoke that. I wouldn't know what to do, which got me thinking. No. <laughs> Alright, the next song is going to be dedicated mainly to seniors, but I think the rest of you guys might like it. The first two guys look like any of my friend's older brothers that would drive us places and then they would try to do the cover of that and we would just sit in the back yeah. being like, wow, what an attractive man. <laughs> that Yeah, like he, there's just like empty monster energy drinks littering yeah, the cab of his pickup it truck. it smelled awful. Yeah, there's a sticker that says no fat chick. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, you're like, definitely, definitely. definitely. I totally... I, yes, this is all making sense to me as a young girl. Thank you, sir. This is how you wind up on a registry. Next up is Chi. And uh, Chi is named after Deftones bassist Chi Chang, rest in power. It also acts as a double entendre with Chi also referring to vital energy that animates the body in Eastern schools of thought. Immediately, we're getting thrashier, rawer versions of corn, and uh, at times the rhythm section is just like falling all over itself. Like those staccato kind of like lyricals, like how he wrote Twist, Jonathan. Um, that's kind of how he writes all their songs. Like he doesn't write words first. Mm. Like he writes his vocal enunciations and rhythms, and then he goes back and adds the words. Um, so that's why this song's called Chi, because like he all the songs had temporary titles until he actually wrote the words and they can name them but this song just reminded them of like cheese response the first time he heard him play it so that's why it's named that mm -hmm. but so the main lyric is uh sick of the same old thing so i dig a hole and bury pain but like because when he originally wrote it it doesn't have enough syllables so he has to make the word bury like one syllable and like i never understood the words i had no idea what he was singing until i looked up the lyrics to do this show <laughs> and there were no lyrics uh, uh in the actual cd booklet so you just had to figure it out which if you're listening to this album on a dubbed over version of siamese dream in the back of a school bus which I was. <laughs> you had no idea what this was saying. And you could also kind of hear like in the back, like mayonnaise playing. I like how this one, it doesn't really have a whole lot of extra lyrics. It's mostly just the same two lines over and over and over again. And he's like, yeah, this is a song. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's taking up time. There's a lot of that. Uh, one of my main takeaways from this album is it is an excellent EP and a mediocre full length. Speaking of mediocre, Chi leads into Lost, and it's super forgettable. Davis is hitting us with brain pain, insane style lyrics. This time he's doing decide, hide, mind, spine, find, time, mind, spine. <laughs> the chorus bangs, but that's about like all there is to say about this. Yeah, it's got meth scat. It does the whispered vocal behind the main vocal on the verse. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's your typical new metal dreck. Yep. But it's fine. It's fine. It shouldn't be in the number two spot. Sure shouldn't. Track number four, probably my favorite on the album, uh, Swallow. <laughs> that's because I could just picture like 14-year-old Kevin DeLore sitting in his room going, punk ass sissy, I'm a freak. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> God, I hate it when you're right. But I don't think that was a you. I think that was a pretty. I think it was, um, you know, a call out to, hey, are you listening to this? Are you bullied incessantly? Which, by the way, when I lived in South Florida, or I went to high school in Miami, like I said, I was never bullied for having like blue hair or anything like that. It wasn't until I moved to North Carolina that people gave a shit. Mm -hmm. So whenever they would talk about like bullying and stuff, we kind of had to be like, yeah, we're, we, we're bullied. 
when mm. in point of fact, our classmates could not give less of a shit about what we were doing. They were like, can you please stop trying to do that weird Jonathan Davis scat in the bathroom? We would love that. <laughs> Sounds like uh, the whole basis of like QAnon now. Yeah. We're yeah. the oppressed ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? Not, not really? I wish I was. Oh. Yeah. We were like, man, they're, they looked at us in reality. She was just like, what the fuck is she wearing those jinkos again? They're dirty as hell. <laughs> I'm like, stop bullying me. I moved to North Carolina the year this album came out and I got the shit bullied out of me. This was my getting bullied album. I think that's why it still resonates with me so much. Anyway, it's got a great crushing groove and some really cool, like non-traditional song structure. Well, instead, Fieldy's bass is beginning to enter that like dub reggae territory, mm -hmm. which like kind of becomes his thing, whereas he was previously doing that just like loose string click kind of thing. Yeah. But now he's really hitting that like reggae style. Like this is when everybody started putting like subwoofers in their piece of shit Honda Civics. And they uh, did. That was that was the golden Korn, age. Yeah, that's why Corn hit so hard because Fieldy's bass just did what other heavy bands' bass didn't do. Yep. It let you still show off your system. Yeah, it also shines a light on how pervy Davis has gotten since the first album, because yeah. I didn't notice, but this is probably like the horniest corn album. And there's a oh, yes. yes. Yeah, there's a lot of allusions to sex and like a lot of just straight up gross shit <laughs> evidenced by track five porno creep. Why porno creep? According to Davis, that's just the name we called it. It's just like funky fucking porno music i i'm just guessing it's because either a uh, head or whatever monkey is just rocking the wah-wah pedal through the whole song so it has that kind of like wow wow you know that uh, typically associated with like 70s porn i guess true true yeah wah pedal and insane amounts of body hair <laughs> oh god <laughs> It is kind of a junk piece of filler instrumental, but it does really show off David Silveria's drum chops, uh, which are actually really on point throughout this whole album. That, like, if there's one thing that stands out as like a good performance in this record, for me, it's Silveria's drumming. Next up is Good God, and good God, this song rules. The boys showed up for this one. <laughs> it's, got, it's got the 808 drop. It's fast as fuck. Uh, everything is clicking, and Davis is going nuts in the booth. God, I love that. Yeah, that's super heavy. Yeah, that was that was definitely a classic getting bullied track. Yeah, or yeah, or I, I it could be another I hate my dad track. <laughs> it could be lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it could it could really, you know, you could you could make sure that it fits into any part of your of your life. No, watching that, it transported me back to seeing Corn in concert and um my dad was able to get me a floor ticket. I think he bribed one of his students to give it to him, to give it to me. Amazing. Yeah, uh, he didn't quite understand the new metal portion of my life, but he was very supportive. It made it so hard to hate my dad, but I did find a way. Um, but <laughs> there's, there's oh, a- but, but think of the lengths that he went through. Um, uh, hello, students. Um, my daughter likes the uh, you can suck my dick band. <laughs> Would anybody have a ticket? <laughs> and they're like, sure, why not? But yeah, no, I remember seeing that. And the stage had flames coming out of it. And I remember I was I was just up front because I had weaseled my way up front. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I have ever seen in my life. Uh, but then I also looked around me and I was like, "I'm wait, these are other corn fans? Yep. This is interesting. This is an interesting world I'm in. <laughs> I, I, uh, I only saw Corn once and it was on the Follow the Leader tour with Rob Zombie, which was quite the tour package. But mm. like the radio station for like the two weeks before had a contest of like, be the seventh caller and you can be on stage. And like the behind Corn was just like a giant jail cell. So there were like a hundred kids in the jail cells that made up the background. I'm like you can't hear or see shit. Congratulations on what you just won. <laughs> so I do have a fun fact about why Davis chose the title Good God. And I'm going to read a quote from him. One of my heroes when we were out on the road with Danzig and Marilyn Manson was this bus driver named Tony Wiggins. He drove Danzig, but he also drove Pantera back in the day. And he was the craziest bus driver I'd ever seen in my life. He was just <laughs> out of control nuts, partying and everything. 
I loved him to death. He always used to walk around going, good God, with the intensity and how fast the song was. It just fit. Okay, of the attributes I look for in a bus driver, crazy, out of control nuts and partying are at the bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I realistically want, like, a 65-year-old woman to be my tour bus driver. <laughs> Not trying to get Cliff Burtoned. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, no, I, I would want a bus driver. If I was on tour, I'd want a bus driver. As soon as I walk in, they're like, did you take your vitamins? Are you ready to have a good night's sleep? Let's have a let's have a cozy night. Let's go. Yeah, buckle up. Yeah. There's snacks in your bunk. Yeah. Yeah. iPads off. <laughs> These guys, you look over and you're doing biker crank with the bus driver. And who's driving the bus? <laughs> <laughs> the boys are then going to pump the brakes into this snoozer, Mr. Rogers. You know how Jonathan Davis just constantly talks about how he's bullied. Like this, the whole theme of the, either he's fucking somebody or he's getting bullied by somebody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've never heard a song that made me want to take a man's hand and hit him in the face with his own hand while going, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> like I do after listening to this song. Here's how this song was created. I'm just going to read from Davis himself. Mm -hmm. I spend like a month fucking with that song because I do a quarter of speed and be up for four days. I wrote that song on a drum machine, actually detuning the drums. I detuned bells and all this shit and made the melodies because I couldn't play guitar that well at the time. When I finally got that going on, it all came together and I wrote the lyrics. I totally went on this speed tangent of watching Mr. Rogers episodes. I don't know if it was because I hadn't slept for three days, but a lot of that shit went on during that show was disgusting and perverted. I made an actual tape of all these quotes. He was saying it was some disturbing shit. And I want to stop before I get to the best part of this quote. Anything else to add to that? Besides just really Jonathan Davis? Really? Okay. All right. Yeah, well, okay, honey. Okay. Yeah. Well, For also, sure. like, how, how do you binge Mr. Rogers in 1996? Like, it's oh, not like PBS, it's on fucking. Man. Yeah, but there's other stuff on. You got to tune in once a day because then Sesame Street and the electric company are going to come did, on. Did he tape it? Maybe he taped the. You know, I wouldn't put it past him to tape an episode. Maybe even just half an episode. I don't really know. And just play it over and over again and think he was well, watching different episodes. Well, yeah, and the, exactly. the, the man who puts every album cover is a child potentially about to be molested and their own band name is an amalgamation of kitty porn. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to say Mr. Rogers is doing some gross stuff. Well, the last sentence from that quote was the one that really stuck out to me. I also heard Mr. Rogers was a Navy SEAL and he killed more people than polio. <laughs> Wait, let's just stop and address the Mr. Rogers killing more people than polio because I had no idea this was a thing. But apparently he served as a Navy SEAL. <laughs> as a Navy SEAL sniper. And the reason that he wore long sleeves and cardigans was because he had a tattoo for every confirmed kill. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> he was like Victor Zaz. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you gone down like the, the Mr. Rogers Q hole? <laughs> like, oh, dude. <laughs> it gets better. Oh, God. Also... Did you know that Fred Rogers began his television career as a result of his being a convicted child molester? <laughs> so one of the conditions of his sentence was that he had to fulfill a community service obligation by performing a television show for children on a local public station. The circumstance explains the lack of children on his program and the presence of adult characters with suggestive names such as Mr. McFeely. That one might have legs. <laughs> First off, no, he fucking didn't. Uh, he did register for the draft in 1948, but in 1950, uh, Rogers reported to the armed forces for his physical and his status was changed to 4F, meaning he wasn't qualified for military service. And no, he wasn't a convicted child molester because how no. many times have you seen pedophiles as a condition of their release be required to host children's shows? On government-funded television. <laughs> The best part of this is that that was 
again in the in in the 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 heyday of dial-up internet. Yep. So you couldn't someone would tell you something and you were like, "Yeah. That's yeah. true." Because you told me and someone else told you. It's like it's like when your older brother's friend tells you something and you're like, "Well, this is true." It has to be. Yeah, I mean, of course, now if you go onto the internet and you type that in, I'm sure that somewhere someone has a whole conspiracy blog about that. <laughs> Where do you think all this came from? It came from <laughs> Angel Fire pages. That I, <laughs> Of course it did. Of course it did. You know, you put it on the internet and people are like, well, it's got to be true. It's on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, John spends a month wide awake on meth watching PBS and he shits at this song and it's not great. <laughs> No. Yeah, and the crux of it is that he's mad that Mr. Rogers told him that everybody was his neighbor. So he went mm-hmm. into life very naive and he didn't understand why everybody was picking on him. And he literally says, you really made my childhood a failure. Yeah, it's like, wow, way to pass the buck onto a guy yeah. that you watched half an hour. Like, yeah, right. John Davis is like a fucking 26 year old millionaire at this point. Like, yeah, go to fucking like- therapy, you asshole. He's like, you're the reason that everyone hates me. Anyway, I got to go on this multi-million dollar tour. <laughs> yep. Uh, next up is this. Fuck you, titty sucking till bald bitch with a fat green head. My dick on the bitch. Oh shit, fucking ass licking, piss sucking cunt. These nuts on your lips. Yeah, let's just stop right there. Yeah, that's that's about all I got of that. This is um Korn's version of a Primus song. It's got the. It sounds like the intro to South Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Musically, it wasn't terrible, and again, it had that bass that you could turn up um, as you were driving in your again friend's older <laughs> brother's car, and everyone would know you were different. But this song for me was difficult. Well, this whole album actually was difficult because at the time I uh, was really into also Riot Girl mm. and like Bikini Kill. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Ah, shoot. How do I put these two together? How do I still be cool, but also still (laughs) write slut on my forearm um, (laughs) as a 13-year-old girl? How do I I put these two together? (laughs) Madeline, it's it's okay because Davis said about this song, people are like saying I'm a woman hater and shit. (laughs) But I'm not. (laughs) Oh, thank God. Sure. There are some uh, women I hate. Of course. But there are also some men I hate. And that's what this song is about. That that has big white people can be N-words too energy. <laughs> when we were talking about women being touched without their consent at Furnace Fest and we'd get a lot of messages, they were like, well, men can be too. Mm. And we were mm. like, thank you so much. <laughs> it it kind of gives the message of like, there's women I hate. You know, fat women, <laughs> ugly women, whore women. But if you're hot and I want to fuck you. Whore women. <laughs> also, yeah, to the point of like, well, dudes can be touched too. Do I feel unsafe going to shows? No. I look at Nick and go, I think that person touched my dick. And then I just move on with my life. Like, so no, it's not the same. <laughs> fucking idiots because also i'm like who would want to touch my dick (laughs) i mean whenever we go whenever women go into hardcore shows and we see the men that are there we're like ugh. (laughs) i thought there was gonna be a follow-up but no no it's just that we're just ah we walk into shows we see the men and we're just oh And I think that's what's been so hard about going through the lyrics of this album. I'm just like, 14-year-old Madeline, what? What was going on? What was happening? And I was like, well, Against All Authority hadn't put out a new album in a while. And Slater Kinney's album was late. And <laughs> I, uh, as like a young, impressionable male when this album came out, I'm real glad I didn't listen to the words. Like I, I've never been a, like a lyrics at the first pass guy. Like I can't really ever digest the lyrics until I go through an album a few times. But like, 
this is just some big incel shit. Like, I mean, this could this could have you know led to horrible things. Yep, yep. Uh, so I paid a lot of attention to the lyrics, and uh, sure didn't help as I got into uh, hardcore and emo. Where uh, turns out uh, I did not know this. I am the victim, and I am owed certain things uh, from, from women. I had no idea. And uh, definitely, definitely helped me a lot in my 20s. I think I had a very, very healthy musical upbringing. So thanks, New Metal. Thanks, Hardcore. Super, super cool. Totally. Being a woman in New Metal and Hardcore in the early days was so amazing. You guys, oh. I'm jealous. Golden years. I know. I know. For sure. <laughs> Next up is the actual first single from the album, uh, No Place to Hide. And this is like straight up classic corn. Uh, this is a great song. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a yeah higher higher end new metal song, like definitely top tier. Um, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like if they were so with the last song, which we were just talking about, the one with all the bad words, the, their joke was that they were going to send that to radio as their lead single, knowing that they were, weren't going to get any play. And then follow it up with No Place to Hide as a joke the next week. The label wouldn't let them do that, but do you know how uh, like how many hundreds of thousands of dollars it would have cost to like put, put all that stuff to print and distribute it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're the victim. They are the Meth- victim. Meth brain. <laughs> <laughs> this episode brought to you by Budweiser and Meth. <laughs> put them together, write a hit album. <laughs> so I think uh, No Place to Hide didn't chart in the United States, not. but it I, didn't it get nominated for a Grammy. Probably, I think it did. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a great song. And as with most great songs on this album, there's not a lot to say about it because it's good. <laughs> right into another banger. And this is probably the the stretch of like great songs are going to get on this album. So this is their cover of the Ice Cube classic Wicked with Chino from the Deftones on guest vocals. And I love this song. Chino sounds real drunk to me. Oh, <laughs> sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is uh like I mean it's just Chino and Corn like at the height of like being skinny drunk meth heads who like Ice Cube and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. a studio giving them money enough for a clearance for Ice Cube songs and what's not to love because there, there's two covers on this album and that's usually the sign of like oh shit we don't have enough material but 100%. there's still kind of a lot of tracks on this album so I, I don't I don't know this one makes more sense than the next cover it does. Continuing our great run of songs is the crowning jewel of this album, Adidas. This was the first song they wrote for this whole uh, sequence, which explains why it's the tightest on the album, because they were still moderately sober. Yeah. Yep. And maybe had slept the night before. Yep. Yep. Uh, Quick show of hands. How many people wore their Adidas? Because, uh, you know, get it. So I liked Korn's first album. I was absent for this one, and then I got huge into them at Follow the Leader. I I wore Puma because they switched their endorsement deal to Puma. Oh. Which, real quick, fun fact, um, obviously in this song, the A-D-I-D-A-S stands for All Day I Dream About Sex. And that's a playoff of the rumor at that time that Adidas stood for All Day I Dream About Sports, which is not actually true. Uh, Adidas is a, a Bavarian company in Germany. Uh, It was founded by two brothers, Adolf Dossler and Rudolf Dossler, who uh, ended up hating each other and splitting into two companies, uh, one owned Adidas and one owned Puma. Uh, But Adidas uh, is from Adolf's nickname, Adi, and his last name is Dossler. So Adidas, Adidas. Also, they made anti-tank rocket launchers during World War II to blow up United States. (laughs) They converted the whole factory to like a Panzerfaust factory. No joke. Good. Amazing. That's great. Yep. I couldn't get Adidas um, because it, it cost too much, but I did for Christmas one year. I wish I still had it. It'd probably be an amazing collector's item. It had it was the black velour um jacket Ooh. and it had blue sequins down the side and it said corn right here. Oh so God. if you want to think of the coolest person you've ever met <laughs> in the ninth grade, that was me. So uh, I wore it one time. One time? Well, it was it was South Florida, and it was velour. Uh, yeah, I was I was dying. I was it was like a hundred and seven degrees every day. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, after getting bullied at Davy High, my parents yoinked me out of there. They put me in Catholic school, and uh, 
once a month on a Friday, we got to wear like our normal clothes. And I wore my badass Adidas long sleeve with the stripes all the way down. And I remember I was in a recorder class, remember, with the, the flutes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And Sister Anne uh, called me out. She's like, I know why you're wearing that. It's because it's all day I dream about sex. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kevin's trying to figure out how to play lowrider on a recorder. I tried to dig deep to find like some sort of local news segment that would like stir up a moral panic, like rainbow parties or butt chugging or jankum. But sadly, I couldn't find anything uh, about Adidas. <laughs> but I read a lot about rainbow parties, which doesn't work. <laughs> no, there's no way. Like, <laughs> the science just doesn't add up. The science of like having a, a <laughs> rainbow on your dick doesn't add up how were parents scared of this oh uh, we were coming off of the edge of the satanic panic man they were just trying to be outraged about whatever <laughs> weren't parents also worried about the bracelets though yeah. apparently yes. if you wore a certain color bracelet yeah. cool cool country we got here <laughs> those same parents now are worried about critical race theory it's 100 accurate yep yeah, no, thank God we live in a puritanical society. Uh, I'm definitely yeah, not. Say, maybe, maybe having a country founded by religious extremists isn't the greatest didn't, model. Didn't work out great? <laughs> nope, sure didn't. That's why we have this song, Adidas. Yeah, I mean, for me at this stage, uh, the S stood for Star Wars. <laughs> All day I dream about <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, mine I think was Sailor Moon, um, which which hasn't, hasn't changed a bit. Um all day I dream about Sailor Moon because I was the weird anime girl. All day I dreamed about Spawn number one <laughs> finally reaching $100,000 and me retiring rich. <laughs> still still actually dreaming about that because I have my copy of Spawn number one. I, I do as well. <laughs> yep. Hey, you ready for some filler? Yeah. Uh, always. Hey. Yeah, here comes uh, their cover of Lowrider. And uh, they just kept this on here to fulfill the contractual obligations to release a full length. There's really nothing Dude, else. The, no, the point to call out is that historic riff, the Lowrider riff, is played mm -hmm. on this version by Jonathan Davis on bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the thing! He's yeah. doing the thing again! <laughs> Yeah, uh, he does. Uh, Head does the vocals on this, so it was just like a keep keep the tape rolling type thing. Uh, they're like, oh, and Ross at this point is just like, oh my god, we just really <laughs> need an album. Sure, fine, fuck it, we'll get the clearance. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Oh, Jonathan found his bagpipes. Okay, great. Oh, he's sm <laughs> he's smoking meth out of his bagpipes. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, he filled up the bag with cores. And, uh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Next up is um, Ass Itch. <laughs> so this is a trope. Band sophomore albums, and we've talked about this before, tend to be significantly worse than their first album. They call it a sophomore slump because, as I mentioned earlier, bands have their whole pre-record deal signing time to like make write songs, and then they have to write their second album real fast. This song is a song where Jonathan Davis is complaining about writing lyrics to songs. He literally had to sit at his desk and be like, I gotta write this song, I have a fucking deadline, and then he wrote a song about writing songs. It's super lame. <laughs> Let's bring it home with a molestation jam. Kill you. This one's real bad. It's about like his stepmom, who he said... Uh -huh. Um, made him drink Tabasco to burn the cold away when he was a kid and she would always hurt him. So he hates Yes, her. he's going to murder her. This is tough. He literally talks about raping this person. Like it's in the lyrics. I kind of want to go back to the Tabasco thing real quick. Yeah. <laughs> as forward thinking as I'd like to think that I am, I still have a very medieval sense of medicine. And when I feel ill, I think I should just burn and shit all of the bad things out of me. Like, I'm probably just a step away from leashes. I don't think that this Tabasco thing came from a place of malice. It's like, you know, uh, I, I feel a little off. So, you know, just like drink a bunch of Tabasco, like shit your brains out and uh, you'll feel a little better because you got nothing bad in you. 
uh, do you maybe have like a sensitivity to vinegar? Like does that, that's the response to Tabasco? Like I, I don't know, man. And he didn't he say that he it was put in in like tea. Oh yeah, yeah. So it wasn't even that he was. It was it was put in tea. I read that and I I felt terrible because I was like, oh. Jonathan opts for the route of escalation. Drinks the mm-hmm. drinks the spicy stuff and then mm-hmm. writes this lyric. <laughs> I would come walking in and I'd say hello, but you slap me and you make some fucked up comment about my clothes. Then I tried to let it pass, but the visions in my head were with you with a knife up your ass laying dead. Hey, uh, you guys want to see some video of Jonathan Davis losing his shit in the booth recording this? Yeah, sure. Oh, of course. You know the song Kill You? Yeah. You got to have John fucking read, redo the lyrics at the middle part. Okay. Because that part is all... It's like he's singing shit and some sick shit. I like how Monkey is just kind of like, hey, have you heard this song? He's all like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, he's talking about his stepmom bullying him. Look at your band members. <laughs> At the at the end, they do come in and give him a hug, and like Fieldy's like pouring Budweiser because like he's still got the can in his hand. He's like, "Yo, man, I'm crying." He's not crying. They're just happy that that the album is done. Yeah, now we can get back on the road with our bus driver and <laughs> crazy Tony. So that brings to a close. Life is peachy. Any parting thoughts on this album? Jonathan Davis even admits that this is like not their best work and that it was rushed. And like he recently, uh, I can't remember which magazine it was, but he had to like list his uh, the corn albums in, in order from favorite to least favorite. And this was towards mm-hmm. the bottom of the list. Uh, I would agree. This one and then the one that has dubstep all over it probably are the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sonny. So. As we usually do around this time, uh, we like to share what we're listening to. And unfortunately, it's kind of been a really shitty weekend for the music world. Um, Yesterday, we lost Taylor Hawkins, the uh, drummer for Foo Fighters, uh, incredibly talented drummer and uh, from all accounts, an incredibly solid dude. So instead of talking about, you know, any of the other stuff that we're listening to, uh, we'd like to share our favorite Foo Fighters track. So, Nick, what you got? Um, so, my favorite Foo Fighters song is Everlong, and that's too obvious because it's everybody's favorite Foo Fighters song because it's a classic that will go down in like rock and roll history. It is like the classic rock of our generation. My favorite Foo Fighters track is because it grabbed me the first time I heard it. Foo Fighters for me are kind of like whatever, they're a good rock and roll band, right? But they're not my favorite band. They've had moments of brilliance. But I think most people love the Foo Fighters because we we went, we all wish the best for Dave Grohl. And the comedy between Taylor and Dave like make them their own like entertainment unit beyond just music. But when they put out um, One by One in the leadoff single, All My Life, I was, uh, I was at like a transitioning place in the kind of music that I was listening to at that time. And I could tell that they were too. I mean, like, obviously the Foo Fighters had recently added Nate Mendel from Sunny Day Real Estate and um, Chris Shiflett from No Use for a Name. Like, and they like blended a little bit of authenticity to the Foo Fighters. So I don't think they would have landed on this sound without it. So this is all my life off of the album one by one. Searching for something, something never comes, never leads to nothing, nothing satisfies, but I'm getting close, closer to the prize at the end of the rope. All night long, I dream of the day, when it comes around and it's taken away, leaves me with the feeling that I feel the most, feel it come to life when I see your ghost.
Uh, so you can tell that like Dave just got off a recording with Queens of the Stone Age and like their sound was starting to evolve a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's just probably my favorite era of that band. Awesome. Awesome. Malin, what song would you like me to pull up? First of all, whenever people screen share, I look at everything that I'm not supposed to look at. You have a note that says I'm too wasted to brush my teeth. Yeah. And I just wanted to uh, note that. Yes. <laughs> um, there was apparently no additional text. Yeah, uh, it, was, it, was it was a, a pre, it was a it was a weed inspired song. Lyric that's that beautiful. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. Yep. That's, Thank you for that. Um, yeah. That's very... Uh, I, I assure you my oral hygiene is in uh, top shape, though. So That's, yeah. you know, I... Not, sure. not every lyric has to be autobiographical, Madeline. Well, <laughs> listen, I can only go by what I see. And from what I've seen, <laughs> you are living a corn lifestyle in which you are too wasted to brush your teeth uh, and you would like everyone to know yes so anyhow moving on um it would be best of you God, that's such a good song. It's the perfect song for your driving in your car by yourself and you have had a shitty time recently and you're just you're just singing. And as someone who is a huge fan of Andrew WK and like his his lyrics and everything like that, it really fits with what I am into. Um I mean, Foo Fighters as a whole have, have always kind of fit into to that, you know, that whole don't give up type of vibe. But this song is just one of those that just it, it hits you like deep into your heart of any size. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you, Madeline. This album was really a big part of my summer that year. I had a two albums that were in constant rotation in my car because this was my big driving album uh one was who is mike jones by mike jones and the other uh being this one and i have very very fond memories of the leadoff track uh in your honor in your honor Yeah, I love that song and uh, rest in peace to Taylor Hawkins and condolences to all of his uh, friends and family and collaborators. Um, just uh, an amazing dude gone too soon. So tragic. Yeah. Taylor Hawkins was one of those guys like we all know his name. You don't know the mm -hmm. name of the drummer of bands that you hear on the radio. No. But yeah, no. he was he was just beyond just the drummer of the Foo Fighters. He was a special dude. Name so. one drummer from a band at Furnace Fest. One. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> John Ross of With Honor. Yeah. George oh from Hot Water Music. I'm gonna have a lot of drummers accosting me at Furnace Fest this year. I had a lot of bassists tell me that they matter from my last video. I was like, you don't, but that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they don't. <laughs> I could learn to play the bass. Give me five minutes. Put me on a hardcore album. Just bow, 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 bow. <laughs> that's bass. That's there it is. Uh, Madeline, where can they find you online? Oh, uh, so I am on Instagram because I am super lazy and I don't have a Facebook or anything else, but you can look up on Instagram. It's X hardcore hotline X all one word. Um, and there is a phone number that you can call to leave us a voicemail to let us know how upset you are about, I don't know, whatever you come up with. Um, <laughs> which is is not difficult. Honestly, I just I just troll 
the When We Were Young, Emo Cruise, Furnace Fest, and soon to be Riot Fest socials. And I get all my material from there. But if you have a hardcore complaint, we will see what we can do for you. Outstanding. Nick, you ready to fuck this up? Yeah, I always do. Uh, you can find us at Days of the New on Instagram and on Twitter. You can find me at Nick underscore the underscore knife on both platforms as well. Oh my God, you got it, dude! Yeah, well check that done, out, right? Well, well you know, done. I woke up, had an energy drink, crushed some yerba mate, and here I am, ready to go. Didn't brush your teeth? I didn't. Somebody, <laughs> all right, everybody showed up. Love it. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. And you can not find me on Twitter. Madeline, why can't they find me on Twitter? Because Twitter is a cesspool. Yeah, that's actually the truth. That's okay. pretty, and that's also, you. you're not witty enough for Twitter. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, thanks. You need to be real. You need to be real quick and witty on yeah, Twitter. Kevin, I, you I just are think not there. You, your humor takes more than 144 characters, buddy. Thank you. Yep. Uh, long-winded is yeah. all right. Great. Wonderful. Madeline, thanks for coming on today. Uh, we we deal with new metal and all of its tropes, and we've identified that the number one trope of new metal is misogyny. So it's pretty fucked up that we haven't had a woman on this show in three years. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for fixing that for us. You're gonna make it worse <laughs> next time. I'm seen in a, at a hardcore group outing. People are gonna be like, "Oh, there's a hardcore hotline." <laughs> She'll yeah. want to talk to me because she makes me laugh. <laughs> Men literally, they're like, they're like, she makes me laugh. That means she must be in love with me. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. We will see you next Thursday. Days of the New is a production of the Palm Springs 86. You were there. For sure. Show me a love.